in the house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see your bite. Let me see your scars. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple, the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the internet. I am Andrew Berg and joining me on a Wednesday, it's Gaby Lucas. How different is it that we're recording on a Wednesday? It is life-changing. Yeah, it's not very different at all. We decided to wait an extra day because we wanted to talk about um, additions to the coaching staff and they've been trickling out seemingly at a rate of about one per day for the last week or so. Um, who knows if we're going to get actual answers on all of these anytime soon, but it seems like we kind of have, uh, enough to make some wild speculation and guesses about what our coaching staff might look like. So what say you, should we jump in and talk about what we've heard so far? I think we should, because the alternative is ending it here. And and I was told we're going to record one. Of course, by the time this comes out, like tomorrow morning, Thursday morning, I'm sure there'll be like half the shit we've said will be wrong and the yeah. people the positions that aren't filled out will now be filled out with people who we didn't speculate about even a little bit yeah so yeah let's go why not well Woo. yeah i'll try to be careful to say when we know something that that is a thing we know and when we're wildly guessing at something it is a thing we're wildly guessing at um but I, you know i think that'll kind of manifest itself in exactly what you just described mm-hmm. about the names that we'd never heard before getting announced and we didn't talk about them. Well, I would uh, just like to say for the record, I am never not all I am. I only guess I do not. The fact that I've said some things that are true is actually just pure coincidence. So yeah, this is, you know, monkeys typing Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's <laughs> get to work on Hamlet. Uh, talk about the offensive coaching staff. I think, you know, we started talking about office coordinators and we did hire, officially announced Ryan Grubb as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. But at, when we're having a conversation about the offensive staff, it's probably important to start from the premise that this is Kalen DeBoer's offense. He has, you know, 20 plus years of coaching experience, most of it developing and coaching an offense. And it's only been the last couple of years when he was delegating the offensive design and play calling to some degree, but it's still going to be his offense. Uh, but Grubb, you know, to that end is also joined at the hip with DeBoer. Uh, They've been together for the better part of a decade since they were at Eastern Michigan in Ypsilanti together. Uh, He has a background as an offensive line coach. That's really the only slight negative I've heard about him from his time at Fresno was that maybe he wasn't as good of a play caller as DeBoer and maybe he doesn't have as much expertise as a quarterback's coach because he had most of his coaching career as an offensive line coach. You know, those are the kind of things that remain to be seen and I'll wait to judge them myself, but it sounds like he's, you know, a very good support staff man for the head coach. Yeah. I think that's a good, good way of putting it. Also for what it's worth, like I'd rather have a former offensive lineman be a quarterback's coach for a functional offense than a former defensive back who runs in a garbage offense. So, you know what, like steps up at least, you know, that's a unit that works functionally right with, the quarterback and so has some insight there um, also I just want to say that Ryan Grubb you look at a picture of him and you're like that is of course that man was an offensive lineman <laughs> he looks like somebody who would either like 
say you're driving down going on a road trip to cat like to san francisco or something he looks like someone where like either you're going to you're going to pull into like some little town to get like to like for the night he looks like someone who's either he's going to pop out of that tavern over like there and either stab you or fix your car free of charge like i love i love i just i look at him and i'm like this is amazing that beard i, I mean he Those might be eyes both. look like they could murder someone but like in a cool way yeah like he, he someone who deserved it murder you and replace your carburetor and yeah and yeah like not necessarily that order but it then give it way. to like someone who needs it you know yeah i think the, we need the, to start the lore of ryan grubb it's ASAP. Uh, the I know exactly which picture you're talking about. And I've looked at a few other ones and they're not nearly as creepy looking, but there's the one where it looks like the camera surprised him and yeah. his eyes are just like bearing down on you. It kind of reminds me of, I can't remember the character's name from It's Always Sunny, but the, the person they always pick on, is it Cricket? Oh, oh. Um, Something like that? Yeah, I know what you're talking he, uh, but Okay, here's my thing. One of them, he looks like he has stabby eyes. And then the other one, he looks like he has very kind eyes. And I, I love the, I, you know, multitudes. We contain yeah. them. Yeah, it's cricket from It's Always Sunny. Reminds me a little bit of that, just in his uh, kind of uh, intense eyes. Yeah, but yeah, so that's that's a good look. I, I, I don't know if we've had had eyes that intense from an, a coordinator since Nick Holt. So let's hope that that's the only thing they share in common. Uh, the other offensive coach who was announced, and he's, I mean, he's not technically a coach, but is uh, Courtney Morgan, who we hired away from Michigan as the director of player personnel it's an off-field recruiting role. Uh, Morgan's background is an offensive lineman, which is why I put him in the offensive bucket, but he's going to be working presumably as the head of recruiting on both sides of the ball. Uh, it seems like a coup to be able to take somebody without giving him a promotion away from Michigan, basically just outbid him, outbid them. And, you know, when we talk about we're not overspending on the head coach as compared to what some teams are spending like eight, nine, $10 million a year, um, it gives you the, a little bit more budgetary freedom to be able to do things like this, which is really exciting. And we talked about how recruiting, particularly West coast recruiting in California is going to be a challenge for somebody who's only been a, a head coach on the West coast for two years, but this is exactly the kind of thing that you would want to bring in as a supporting role. So all the early returns about people in the industry are super excited about Morgan. So it's hard not to share in that and also be excited about him. Yeah, definitely. The, Plus the, more, more linemen. Give me some linemen. Doesn't hurt. Uh, the first thing, I, somebody just shared a tweet with us from Tracy Ford that he was already, uh, despite being announced, I think yesterday, he was already at the FSP uh, practices or facilities today, visiting players and talking to the coaches. And I mean, probably a good way to get your foot in the door and build a better relationship with the, the training and the seven on seven teams by you know doing it on your literal first day on the job <laughs> yeah that's not a bad call like you know politics wise i also just love the roller coaster of of tracking whether what mood tracy ford is in in regards to washington football <laughs> like every every other every other month like he hates them or loves them and i i think that's hilarious it's not just tracing the moods but then also trying to discern like where it came from mm -hmm. and what it's going to imply it's like yeah. does that mean that we like weren't like blew yeah. it on an in-home visit with this junior or is he going to like guide this other guy to Oregon instead now it, like trying to do yeah. the cryptography uh with the 
angry tweets of a high school football coach. I love it more than anything else because college football, more than any sport, college football is about drama and sloppiness. Like there there's, that's just like what happens when it's made up at sport made up of 18 to 22 year old boys versus like professionals who've been in some league for 10 years. And man, that, that, Oh, I love, I just love that because that whole like seven on seven, uh, like recruiting politics game is like nothing sums up college football and the roller coaster and, and drama that it is more than just that is a microcosm. Yeah, absolutely. I, to that end, early in our coaching search, uh, we were having a discussion about in, in our Slack channel about Tom Herman. And it, it does seem very, re, very likely that Tom Herman is a, a very unlikable and not kind person. But some of the reasons that the high school coaches in Texas gave for not liking him were exactly the kind of dramatic sloppiness that you're describing yeah. is basically like this man did not kiss the ring. It's like this, this <laughs> coastal elite coming in from California thinks he's just going to coach a football team in my state of Texas. It's <laughs> like, I, I don't think it's quite that severe in Washington, but um, yeah, I, there's probably some lesser degree of that here too. I mean, nothing's as dramatic as Texas. Like I will no. fully, fully yeah. give them credit for that title. So yeah. Um, the rest of the offensive staff isn't formalized. It seems pretty clear that Junior Adams will still be the wide receivers coach. I don't think that's been formally announced. There's nothing that says that anywhere, uh, but it seems very likely, which would mean that we have a running back coach, a tight end coach, and an offensive line coach likely to still fill out. It seems like there's a decent chance that Scott Huff is going to be back as the offensive line coach. And there's some discussion that the Fresno offensive line coach, Roman Sopalu, might come on as a tight ends coach, or maybe he and Huff share those roles in some way, or it's divided up that way. Don't know anything about running running backs coaches at this point. Uh, anything that, you know, thoughts on any of those positions or things you like to see change? I know we, we talked about Adams a few weeks ago as kind of on the top of the list of current coaches we would like to see continue in their role based on both the recruiting and the production from the position. So not disappointed in that, but the rest of it still seems like kind of a, a big question mark. Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, I think Adams is definitely the guy that like, I'm very, very happy that they're keeping on. Um, Huff is, I mean, I, I, if they are keeping Huff on, you know, fair, whatever, because, um, but I suppose I'll, I'll, I'll give him a year to show that that the ex, the magnitude of offensive line suckage was due to the last two seasons, um, John Donovan's dog shit half-assed in, in like inside zone-ish scheme. Um, and then, you know, and like just, just, just all of that. And like, I think like it was being said that Henry Bainavalu, you know, was playing on a bum knee and all that, but I mean, it, it, and then, you know, also to prove that, that not only that, the, the um, lowering of the, the performance of the offensive line was, was more Donovan than him. And then also to show that the, um, the underperforming of the talent level, even when Peterson was head coach, because they did, I, I, I felt that the offensive line underperformed their talent level under Peterson, but just not even, not it, it wasn't 
even half as drastic, of course, as under Donovan, where it was insane. Um, so I, I think I'll, I'll give him, if they keep him on, I'll give him, you know, a little benefit of the doubt that like maybe under a functional offense that is both a high performing and B not so complicated as it was said about Peterson's that, um, you know, it kind of put guys in a mental block, I suppose, or made them not be able to just play as fast as they wanted to. So if they keep him, that's going to be my headspace as far as evaluating him going forward. Cause you know, if he can coach guys under in an actually decent offense, then great. Now we have someone who recruits like a badass and can actually work with those guys once they're actually in the program. But, you know, obviously, obviously there's a lot of, a lot of previous doubt in, in my mind that he'll have to overcome, but you know, it's not impossible. So. Yeah. I, I, I see both sides of that. The underperformance predates John Donovan. I, I think it, it especially got bad in 2019. I, that was the year where it really seemed like offensive line started to be go from being kind of a, something you didn't notice a whole lot to being a problem area. Um, so that might coincide with, you know, not having like Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin to make it look a little easier than it is. But yeah, and from that point, it seemed to get worse pretty precipitously. And maybe that's on Huff. Maybe it's on a combination of things, including the, the offensive coordinators and the play callers and everything. So it's, it's hard to, to see, but we've isolated more of the variables now. So I think you're right that it's kind mm-hmm. of a prove it situation. So let's talk a little bit about the defensive coaching staff. And this is even more speculative than the offensive side because we don't have a coordinator yet. Uh, We have only one confirmed position coach and that's Juice Brown, uh, Julius Brown, which is a great name. Just like I I would have a hard time not believing in him with a name like Juice Brown. Uh, He is well-regarded as a recruiter. I think I saw somebody say he's rated as the third best recruiter in the Mountain West over the last couple of years while he was at Fresno. Before he went to Fresno, he was at Boise. He actually took Jimmy Lake's job when Lake left from being a secondary coach there. And uh, Brown took that role. Presumably, this would mean we're changing our secondary coaching, which has been really good for a long time. Uh, Hasn't been as dominant, basically, since Jimmy Lake moved out of being a secondary coach to defensive coordinator and then head coach. But it seems like a good, you know, as far as having one piece of the puzzle in place, if they're going to take somebody with from from Fresno's coaching staff, seems like a, a reasonable place to start. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, for, for what it's worth, you know, I don't know that much about him. You know, I don't have, have like that institutional knowledge that you just have by um, following somebody for, for years and years and years. But, um, I, you know, just getting it, just learning about him the last last few days and whatever. Um, I mean, everywhere that he's really been like like with hit with his work at like uh, I think it was Utah State, you know, like he had production and i think i i i am when you combine that with with what the reputation is a good recruiter i am i feel like this is a really important time to kind of ace that higher which hopefully you know he is because you know you obviously have gordon and mcduffie both going off to the nfl this year and they were obviously you know super high talent level and 
being McDuffie's case, a technician and and Gordon, you know, this year kind of like finally matched his athleticism with his, you know, everything else actually being able to play corner, not just being an insane freak athlete, um, which was super fun to watch. But I think below that in, in, in the player pool, like there's a lot of guys who are really interesting and I think who have a lot of potential, but there's no one guy who you point to and you're like, all right, that's the dude. Like, you know, like how you had with McDuffie and before mm. that Byron Murphy um, and, and Gordon, had that for a while, Sidney yeah. Jones and, and yeah. Although, yeah. I'll, yeah. And, and so I think this is kind of the perfect kind of dude to a make sure that there isn't a huge drop off um, as far as bringing in talent in the future and also to get guys like Jackson and Mikel Estine uh, and, and theoretically Jacoby Covington, who is like a very physical, like a, a guy who, when you look at him, you think that's a safety, not a corner. So theoretically like that is awesome. And to kind of combine both those aspects of, you know, what you need to do at that position. Um, I, I am cautiously quite optimistic about that because I was worried about, you know, the corners looked good this year, but who, you know, it was McDuffie and Kyler Gordon who granted, you know, fair credit um, to Harrison Brown for, for, you know, having some role in taking Gordon from a freak athlete to a cornerback, but their recruiting is, was kind of worrisome as far as, you know, you there was a real drop off in that, in that talent, um, in that room, you know, in the, in, as far as, and that, that's not to like bash anyone uh, in this class or the class before it's simply that the standard there for, for winning really tough battles with getting like star players out of high school in, in that defensive backs room, you know, that, that was a really high standard at Washington that dropped off under those two guys. So I think hopefully that Brown can kind of combine those two and granted, you know, he's not in charge of safety. So that's a whole different animal, but at least having half of that, you know, back end down is, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. I, I think I totally agree with how high stakes this role is based on the level of talent we're turning over. Uh, I think you hit on it with the, there, the cupboard is not bare, but in terms of experience, it leaves something to be desired. So he does have some work to do in terms of getting guys who've shown a lot of promise ready to be featured, you know, be the, the actual starters and, and uh, maintain a level of performance. That's not going to be a huge drop off. So it'll be, a, a, I'm, I'm glad that they found somebody that they're really comfortable with and confident in right away. As far as the leadership for uh, the defensive coaching, probably the most popular name we've heard so far is an interesting one. It's Orlando Steinauer. Uh, I think everyone in the world has uh, auto-corrected his name to Orlando already. I'm, I hope that we hire him just so we can hear how he pronounces his first name to see if the it actually does sound like Orlando. Uh, anyway, he's from Seattle. He played college football at Western. He has been played in the CFL for a long time. He's coached in the CFL for a long time with a one-year hiatus at Fresno in 2017 which was apparently very successful because he was a Broyles Award finalist that year as a, one of the top coordinators in the country. He's playing in the Grey Cup this weekend. His Hamilton Ticats uh, are playing, I think, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Blue Bombers. Uh, so as a Ticats-Blue Bombers rivalry. Um, <laughs> I, the part that's – we can talk sometime if he ends up getting hired about the scheme and the adaptations and everything. 
but did it just seem as strange to you as it did to me that like we were shopping in the CFL aisle? Not bad, <laughs> just like a very unexpected. Yeah, I think that's the right, the, the exactly how I feel about it. Like, yeah, not bad. Just you're like, this is bizarre, but he just like kind of with Brown, like he's been really good at what he's done. So, you know, uh, and, and I think, I think it was our managing editor, Max, who pointed out like the bump that he gave Fresno state the one year he mm-hmm. was there, which granted, mm-hmm. I know I've said this a gazillion times on this podcast that um, sample size matters a lot to me. Um, so like, I'm obviously taking this with a huge grain of salt, but that they were like one of, they were like 110th and 101st in like scoring defense and total defense or something the year before he got there. And then in one year he turned them to like, like 30th in the country. And then when he left, they went back down to like 90th or or something. Um, and so, I mean, like, obviously again, grain of salt, cause it's, you know, one season, but that is huge. Like that is a, a drastic change to make with presumably pretty much the same personnel there, there, that, I mean, you, you have to be doing pretty much everything really right to get that to happen. And um, I, I do, I do think though, like what you said, like, it's going to be fascinating to see, like, how do you take a CFL like a CFL guy, like what, what do they bring over or not, not that they're going to, not that there's going to be like a schematic change in like the American game. Cause you know, you got one less player, but, but just seeing somebody come go from that, go from 12 guys and like three downs and off or uh, receivers being able to run at the line of scrimmage before the, the ball is snapped and, the rouge point, whatever. Like I should know more about this because I lived in Canada for four years. Um, but I don't because the CFL is boring. Um, but, but yeah, I think that's, I think it's just going to be a really, really interesting thing. If, you know, if the, if the rumors are true, which it sounds like it is either way, you know, I'd like to avoid thinking about having to go to Winnipeg. Um, also, I don't know if the Grey Cup is in Winnipeg or if it's in Hamilton or if it's in anywhere else. So it'd be pretty funny if they played the like rotated between New Orleans and Miami, like the Super Bowl does. Yeah. It's like I think we'd actually rather go there. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea if they do a destination game or whatever. I don't know. I don't uh, know either. I feel like a really shitty honorary Canadian. I'm gonna have to yeah. Well, Google says the game is Winnipeg at Hamilton. So that's I wrote, that doesn't idea. prove that it's not a neutral site game, but it makes me think it's probably in Hamilton's in suburban Toronto, right? It's like, like an hour okay. south. It's like right on the border with an American city. Yeah. Uh, they run a, they platoon quarterbacks. And one of them is former Oregon quarterback, Jeremiah Masoli, who is like in the, the dustbin of history. Cause I, I think he was between uh, Dennis Dixon and uh, mm-hmm. Mariota. So it was kind of like, they had these two, really memorable quarterbacks and one kind of unmemorable one in between. Uh, and then the punter on the team, our producer Colin informed us before we started is former Husky and uh, absolutely phenomenal punter, Joel Whitford. So Hell yeah, I mean, if that's any, anything that tells us anything, it seems like Steinauer is probably ready to go from day one. Yeah. I no, sorry. I was just about to go on another tangent, wondering about how the, the British Commonwealth uh, two-year work visas 
work if you're an Australian punter and if that makes it easier to be in the CFL. I would imagine that it is easier to get a visa from a country other than the U.S. to play in the CFL. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Well, it definitely, I mean, just like a basic, like if you're from the Commonwealth or I think and Ireland, you can just get a two-year. Like that's why Vancouver and Whistler have just buttloads of Irish and Australian dudes is because they're like, I'm going to go live in Canada for two years because you can pretty much just do that on command. Okay, sorry. I'm, oh my God. Anyway, just interrupt me when I do we'll that. We'll talk about, eh, don't care enough. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> so the rest of the defensive coaching staff, we don't know yet. Uh, it seems like there's a possibility for Akeka Malloy to stay on as defensive line coach in some capacity. He was kind of coaching outside linebackers and was the co-defensive coordinator last year. Don't really know what that's going to look like for next year. Uh, we don't know what the breakdown is going to be for. It seems like the, the probability is that our defensive scheme is going to look a little bit different. So we might not have like a down lineman and an edge coach separately. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll just have one linebacker coach still kind of figuring out if Dante Williams fits into this. He was the interim coach at USC. He's been a secondary coach his whole career, cornerbacks or all secondary uh, and it's not clear exactly what he would do. He could possibly be a safeties coach because we did hire uh, Brown specifically as a cornerbacks coach. Williams uh, is beloved by players. He was a phenomenal recruiter in Southern California. Uh, you know, as we talked about with Morgan, that's probably a need that we need to fill in in a couple places on the staff. So if he is available and he wants one of those jobs, I would certainly uh, consider him for it, offer it to him. Uh, but we don't know what that is ultimately going to look like yet. Uh, any thoughts on on the rest of that defensive coaching staff or even kind of just zooming out a little bit what you want the rest of the defense to look like, what you kind of hope we're getting toward or away from with our coaching hires? Yeah. Um, I mean, in general, I think when I look at kind of the direction this staffing fill out on offense and defense, both seems to go, it, I, I, I feel pretty good about just the balance of guys who are really good recruiters, guys who are good technicians and on-field uh, coaches and guys who are good at both also. Like it doesn't feel, I feel like some staffs, I, well, I think first off that like the worry for a lot of people, a lot of like Husky fans was that you were going to get a lot of dudes in the staff who were kind of like good on-field, but really unproven recruiting wise. And so we were just going to have to kind of sit back and wait and really cross our fingers that they could, you know, that they could, could recruit at that level, which granted, you know, that's always going to be a question mark anytime you hire somebody up to a power five level. So, you know, that was inevitable, but I think right now it looks like guys who have gotten production out of where they, where they've been with whatever resources, whatever talent they've had. And Uh, there doesn't seem it doesn't really seem like there's any guys there who are like big recruiting duds and then necessarily you know that as far as we know and then you also have you know having picked over like brought and Courtney Morgan over and like it it does it does look like there's going to be a pretty good balance like a pretty holistic um which makes me sound like a hippie but it just seems like it seems like a like everyone is going to be pretty or not everybody, but as a whole unit, like the coaching staff is pretty well-rounded. And that gives me reason to think that this could go well. 
I don't yeah, know I why I said fair. that and sounded so not I, well, confident. I, I think the reason to say it is because we just don't know yet. Like we're, we of talked course. at the beginning about how we're just speculating, but it, like if you're dividing up a coaching staff, like you either want really strong complementary talents where it's like this guy focuses on, you know, he's, he's really good at recruiting the state of Washington. He has great connections here. And then you have like specialists in a bunch of different areas, or you want, uh, kind of general athletes, like guys who can mm-hmm. do a little bit of everything. And I prefer the general athlete approach because I think you can kind of develop in different areas. But if you have competencies across the board, then they can kind of lean on each other and borrow from each other. Mm-hmm. You're not so reliant on all of the pieces clicking together. We'll see if it works out that way, but it seems like that's been the approach so far. Um, we're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back. We're going to talk a couple odds and ends around the Husky football outside of the coaching staff, um, namely around the transfer portal. And uh, then we will wrap up. So stick around. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. We're going to give, give a couple minutes to just a few other headlines from Husky football over the last week. We learned today that Cooper McDonald, who got a surprisingly large load of playing time at uh, the outside linebacker defensive end position is transferring out. Not a huge surprise to see him leave. He's from Texas. Uh, you know, he was brought in by a previous coaching staff, didn't perform particularly well. Uh, it seemed like he didn't get a ton of pressure when he was rushing the passer and he didn't really hold up that well against the run. Uh, I, we talked a few times earlier in the year about being a little surprised that he was continuing to play as much as he was when there seemed like better options available or at least different options that might give a different look. Uh, and it doesn't look like it's going to be a weak position next year, even just guys with significant experience. Uh, Braylon Trice, Jeremiah Martin will probably be at the top of the depth chart. Uh, Savelle Smalls is going to be pushing for more playing time as he's kind of developed a little bit more. And then we don't know exactly what ZTF status is going to look like, but if he's back, he's obviously going to be top of the heap there. Um, Any thoughts on McDonald heading out or concerns about that position going forward? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was, I I think I agree with you that, you know, if we were, if we were talking about, um, if we're talking about Orlando Steinauer in the bizarre, but in a kind of cool way, um, the Cooper McDonald like roster de- or deployment on the field was kind of bizarre in a, eh, <laughs> are we sure about that kind of way? Like not, and that's not his fault. You know, I mean, for first off, you know, you looked at, looked at him and he certainly looked more like somebody who would be well-suited or better suited to an inside linebacker role. Yeah. Um, especially when you looked at the guys who we had on in the um, outside linebacker positions who were like much more, you, they were just much more prototypical and, you know, who knows, maybe he just was not fluid enough in that, maybe not fluid enough in, in pass coverage and everything else that you need to be an inside guy. And maybe the coaching staff saw that, you know, and we're like, all right, we're just going to put you on the outside. But then like, he didn't you know, yeah like you said you know he wasn't super great outside <laughs> and it, it just felt weird you know I mean he there's certainly you know he made plays as a, every once in a while as a true freshman last year where you're like oh that's kind of cool you know but it, you're not you aren't going to be evaluated by the for a true freshman standard yeah. for that long and yeah. you know after a couple games as a true freshman that kind of went you know that intrigue kind of went away. I, I, I hope he does well, the, you know, wherever he goes. Um, 
it just it just felt kind of that actually kind of felt to me like a little bit of a micro or like a kind of the microcosm of that whole coaching decisions or just the decisions under those that coaching staff anyway of just stuff where you look at it and go her (laughs) in the words in the words of the blues family just like that that where that decision just didn't it's just you're just confused and um so I kind of will want to go back I wish I could read you know be a fly on the wall in the meetings where they're like and he will go here period and he will will play you know and be a high up on the depth chart above you you know Trice and Martin and whoever it's it's like in in office space where Milton just keeps getting a paycheck it's like somebody accidentally put him on the (laughs) uh outside linebacker spot on the depth chart and just forgot to not put him on there anymore yeah. I, I had the it, your description of it was perfect because the first time and I'm a person who's pretty differential to the judgment of coaches Definitely, me in too. general because yeah. I just I, I like they see more than we do they know more than we do like I, I'll sometimes like second guess after I've seen it and say well that didn't work out what can we do differently next time but I'm at least willing to give it a shot like let's see what how it turns out but the first time I saw him lining up uh, as basically a defensive end, I saw him on the field and I was like, yeah, that's not where he plays. That's not, that's not what he <laughs> yeah. does. You've got him in the wrong part of the field there, guys. Uh, didn't really work out. Another piece of transfer news. We talked last week uh, fairly in depth about Jake Hayner, maybe coming back to Montlake to follow DeBoer. Tragedy um, hath struck. Yeah. It sounds like even though he was a traitor and he was a traitor on uh, committed treason to yeah. the not the, our uh, words yeah the hallowed <laughs> halls of fresno to clarify uh, he he won't end he don't up, hold that position he's, he's pulled himself out of the transfer portal uh which i guess means he's locked into staying at fresno uh now that jeff tedford has been named coach there you know i i'm not terribly terrified of going into next year with the quarterbacks we have in dylan morris and sam heward largely because I think both of them have a lot of talent that could be salvaged with good coaching that hasn't been brought out of them. Uh, but the quarterback situation is definitely in flux. It wouldn't be hard to imagine whichever one of those two loses the quarterback job in either spring or fall camp doesn't stick around for the full year. And then the recruit that was that had committed to, to come in as a true freshman oh, yeah. next year, Stratton, Jackson Stratton, uh, also or something Stratton, Jackson, yeah, Jackson. I mean, there's a lot Jackson. of Jackson's these You're days. Right. Jackson's a very popular name. I don't know how many X's are in it, but um, probably more than one. Four. He also decommitted, uh, and not where you think they would be. Yeah, he's a <laughs> so silent he, at the beginning yeah. and so, the end. Yeah, uh, so he's decommitted. So now it's the quarterback room really is just Morris and Heward. Uh, you know, we've still hey, got a whole. Hey, that is Cooper Camden Sermon slander. Yeah, fair, fair. Of 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 quarterbacks with a scholarship. He's going to be uh, our Stetson Bennett bucket. <laughs> I don't want our Stetson Bennett. Well, I just shut up. Uh, I mean, I I'm not panicking about this because we've got you know all winter and into the summer to figure out find you know a grad transfer or something. Fill the Patrick O'Brien role. Anything noteworthy to you about the quarterback position? Um, not really. I think yeah. I mean a few things. One. Yeah. I think they'll, there's no way they're not going to go get some transfer just as like a depth body. And, and two more thoughts. Well, three more thoughts. 
I'm probably going to forget what, what one of them by the time I finish the first one. Do them out of order. That way you'll remember. Yeah. Um, I already, oh no, no. Okay. <laughs> so I think for what it's worth, a, if you're a, anybody who's listening to this, who watched the Apple cup, which I assume is everyone and saw that it sucked and that Sam Heward, you know, through a gazillion interceptions, granted two of them weren't his fault. Two of them like bounced off his guys and whatever, but um, it, it, I, anyone who's worrying about him based on that, take a deep breath and don't. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's fine to worry. I don't think it's fair to draw conclusions. I think you could say like, that didn't go great. Uh, oh well, of course. Like, if you have eyes, chapter one in a in what will hopefully be a long book. Here's why I'm not worried. And then for the record, this isn't me saying so. Immediately, Sam here is going to come on and be a star like September one or whatever next year. But here's why I'm not worried uh, until further notice is that like for me, obviously, like you say, it's okay to worry. It's not you're, for you. It's okay to worry, but not draw conclusions. For me. I'm only going to worry about something if I'm on my way to drawing a conclusion. Like those, those that's step one to step four or whatever. And so I think we already looked at, spent the whole entire year looking at these variables of that were dooming anybody in that position, dooming the entire uh, like platoon of offense. So of course he was gonna look like dog shit. <laughs> Yeah. Like there was nothing like, I don't care how generous Tom Brady couldn't look good in that offense. Um, and especially then you add that it was his first career start on like an interim with like half the staff gone. So, you know, and maybe he, maybe he will suck and f- maybe we'll get four years of nothing, but I don't think there's any evidence from the first, from that game of that inevitability. And in fact, I thought I saw signs of, despite him being put in a terrible situation in a terrible offense with a terrible line, I thought there was actually certain things that I was really excited about, but that's a whole different thing. The other, uh, another thought is that I know, obviously, again, he, Morris didn't like, got, Morris got worse pretty much as the year went on. Um, Minus all those third down conversions in Colorado that he managed to then, he would look great until he got into the red zone and then eat it. Um, But I do think, you know, again, back to the variables that, that would doom anyone. Um, And this is me saying he's going to be a world beater or whatever. I do think though, that it's possible, um, probably not at Washington, but maybe and certainly as a, if he were to transfer and go somewhere else in the future, I do think he actually is a pretty good, decent candidate to become like, to have like a Jake Hayner style turnaround further on in his career. And I only say that because, I mean, a, I mean, he obviously had physical uh, weaknesses that we could point to from the beginning, and so you yeah, sure you can say that limits the ceiling, obviously. Um, but he regressed in every single category, every single thing that a quarterback needs to do this year, both from last year to the beginning of this year. And then from the beginning of this year, throughout the season in a way where it became so clear that he was so broken from this stat, from this whole everything where I feel, and where I feel like 
I mean, he was so much more broken than Jake Hayner, or he appeared on the field anyway, to be completely ruined in a way beyond Jake Hayner ever was because he wasn't by the that by the program when he was in it that if you look at Jake Hayner and you look at Dylan Morris I feel like in many ways Dylan Morris is if you look at every yeah every every each thing that you have to do to be a quarterback you know whether it's like you have to throw your arm strength your decision making your mobility your poise your accuracy whatever I feel like initially anyway that Dylan Morris on a raw like non-interfered with coaching staff was kind of like a better at all of those things version of Jake Hayner and so I feel like he is yeah. definitely a candidate to be rehabilitated I don't I, yeah think that's I, likely I totally agree with that and I th- at Washington I think, but probably not I, although you would say if there was an opportunity for it it would be starting would be from now, scratch with the new coaching sure. staff yeah. uh, who are better at developing quarterbacks so it's possible yeah. um but I, you know we'll keep our eye on the transfer portal uh for filling in the gaps i i'll be watching uh michael Penix. From i was just Indiana. that was my third yeah. thought yeah. yeah um the first time i ever saw the name Penix, i thought it was like a gender neutral version of the word penis <laughs> which doesn't make sense anyway but uh it, it i laugh every time i see it because I i'm that, yeah. 12 years old um oh, let's of course yeah none of, us, none of us can see his name and think anything possible. else yeah um let's uh, move on from football and talk a little bit of plugs. I don't know if you came up with anything, but I'll, I'll jump in. I just actually I earlier actually, today but had uh, went to Zoo Tunes or not Zoo Tunes, Zoo Lights. It's a zoo themed event. Uh, it's the Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle. So if you're not, you're listening from outside of, you know, the 50 mile radius or whatever around where we, we are. Hamilton. It probably doesn't do you a lot of good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Thai cat market. Mm-hmm. Um, Thai cat nation rise up. Yeah. Uh, Thai cat commonwealth. Um, true, but we're there's the Woodland Park Zoo in North Seattle does this uh light exhibit around the holidays. Uh, it's a bunch of like paper mache animals, which sounds kind of lame, but they're enormous and there are thousands of them. Uh, they, they have uh dinosaurs, and there was a like a Chinese New Year dragon that was probably 200 feet long and oh, 40 feet high it was awesome it was <laughs> so, cool. so cool there were like three different times when i was walking through there and i felt like i was living in a tim burton movie or something uh it just like it was just sensory overload in a really positive way so um i i definitely recommend people trying that out if they have a chance before uh it shuts down for the year that sounds like something that you should not have edibles before going to. I went with my brother-in-law and on the and my my wife and my uh, daughter. No, but he said I, we were talking about how we were there for like an hour and a half, and that was probably about the right amount of time to spend there, mm-hmm. give or take, you know, half an hour. And he was like, "Yeah, till next time when I'm going to make you like trick you all into taking ecstasy, and we're going to spend eight hours here." Yeah, I just know that like the the I I had um like a massive anxiety attack many years ago from having too much weed butter on toast and then walking into a bubble tea shop. So I'm like, <laughs> if a bubble tea shop will do that to me, oh God, I don't even want to think about that. Um, <laughs> that is like genuinely, oh mm, man, that would be horrible. Uh, yeah. Uh, are you done? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so my thing, I don't have any like TV show or book or whatever because I can't read. And as we've established, I uh, only watch PBS. But um, 
I, I, I know last week I said I, I was doing a show at this Monday at the Ballard Comedy Club at the Hales Ales Palladium, Palladium. But then on Monday, I, the paranoid part of my brain was like, you kind of have a headache, so probably shouldn't go, even though I'm like boosted and everything and whatever. But because I was being hashtag responsible, so I donated my 10 minutes of time to everyone else on the show and they got whatever but I will be there unless I get unless I get a paranoia headache next Monday I'll I'll be I'll be uh I'll be I'll be there next Monday which is the um I'm gonna guess 12th damn it's the 13th I was so close very close yeah um so that'll be fun it's it's so weird doing stand-up now though because like it used to be you would go out every night and you just had all your stuff down and now it's like I still know stuff that like even the but I, i'll go a month without doing it and then i'll be like all right time to go to 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> gonna have to figure remember exactly what i was talking about um so yeah anyways if anyone's bored next monday i'll uh probably tell a snake to suck it on stage or something uh yeah come to hail's ales the ballard comedy club upstairs it's fun and they have beer and they have popcorn and they have Reese's peanut butter cups. When I went there, they didn't have either of those things, but they did only have upstairs. beer, and it was pretty good. Only upstairs. I yeah, they I was only upstairs. Like... There was no popcorn there. Oh, oh shit! Oh, yeah, I forgot you went there when they. It was like their last weekend of weekend shows. Yeah. Before they had to change stuff around again and only do Mondays because of budget issues. Um, you saw Derek Sheen and Nikita mm-hmm. Oster, right? Right. I love. Yep. They're both great. I love. Yes. Them. Derek is a gem of a human. Um, he once tore out his tore his knee uh getting off the toilet and then told the uh paramedic who was playing hockey and i don't know if he did that <laughs> that bit for you but it's very no, funny no um, but that's funny actually well yeah well we mention it uh that this can be my plug derek had a i think i pl- actually plugged this like a year ago or whenever it came out but uh derek released his like fourth album or whatever um like a year ago or, or something um and I forget what it's called. Just look up Derek Sheen, whatever on anywhere, uh, anywhere you listen to anything. Um, and if you really want to spend 10 minutes laughing about um, witnessing a clown get murdered, you should do it because it's, it's really funny. And I can highly, I highly recommend that, that whole album and especially watching a clown getting murdered. Yeah. He's got such a unique point of view. Some of the He's stuff so about funny. his family and his, like the way his life developed and his sense of humor developed is yeah. very one of a kind and I yeah. really enjoyed it. All right. That's probably good for now. Thanks for sticking with us through one of our uh, messy, more messy uh, podcasts, but I think it's fun to do that a little bit in the off season yeah, when we don't really know what's going on and we're just kind of trying to figure it out as yeah. we go. Fair enough. Um, thanks yeah. for listening. Uh, yeah. It seems like our offensive staff is getting filled out, but still a chance for Cody Pickett to maybe come in as a running backs coach. And it seems like Hell he yeah. can probably handle it. Uh, in the meantime, we'll keep trying to get him on the podcast. Thanks for listening and go dogs. I'm trying so hard. Go dogs. <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs>